0: We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostolic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. 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 Well, amen. It's good. Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome. It's good to have you in the room. And for those of you that are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. It is so good to have you as well, and we're just looking forward to a great morning with uh, with the Lord and what He has from His Word. And we trust that each and every one of you here today, wherever you are, uh, are experiencing the blessings of the Lord as well. Um, we're going to be—I'll give you the quick heads up, so it'll give you plenty of time to get there. John chapter 12. That's where we're going to be, John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, open them up or take your device and get to it, give you a chance to get there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, but I just want to give you time to get there, okay? Is that good? All right. Well, listen, uh, we are in uh, a very exciting week, the beginning of it uh, today, uh, as many reference it as Holy Week or the Passion Week. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year, uh, particularly on the calendar and what we get a chance to celebrate. Um, Christmas is great, but this is fantastic. I love everything about what uh, the Easter season brings. Um, and so we're really looking forward to it. Now, just want to give you the heads up, uh, we're going to take just a little bit of time here and break into God's word. So just settle in for about 75 minutes or so and I'll get you out with no, no problem there. Is that good? Just checking, you guys online, hang with me. Anyway, listen, I want to start off by saying this, and I'm just kidding with that. Um, I want to to just start off that uh, we are going to, this is Palm Sunday, right? And uh, we're also in nicely into our uh, Apostles' Creed uh, sermon series. And I'm going to be covering the fourth article of the Apostles' Creed, which is suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, all, all of that. We're going to land specifically on suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's what we're going to talk about today. But just to give you a little bit of backfill on, on uh, this week and what we're looking at, we're looking at specifically Palm Sunday, where we read in the account uh, that it's when Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem happened. And uh, it is, it's exciting when you think about that. This day holds a lot of enthusiasm and excitement because of that. But it also, I'm not going to say begins a very hard week. Um, well, yeah, it was. It did. It began a very hard week uh, in the life of Jesus and in those that followed him. But uh, you know, Jesus had a real hard life all the way through when it comes to what his mission was about. And, uh, but let's focus in just for the beginning of this uh, time that we have together on Jesus coming into the city. And uh, really what we're looking at when we get into John chapter 12, we're looking at uh, an acted out parable. It really is in a way. It gave all of the people that were gathered in Jerusalem, because when they got there, they were celebrating the Passover, right? And uh, it was a big deal in there on their calendar because of God's deliverance uh, from them many years ago, but they continued to celebrate. So Jerusalem is full of people. Uh, they have come from all over, and they are there. And it gave those people who were faithful followers of Christ at the time a very clear sign, one that they had been waiting for. This was it. This was the time that they had been waiting for. He is going to ride in, and uh, think he's going to unseat the the government, and he's going to bring all of the the stuff that he had been foretold to do come about right then. And so that's what's going to be happening. And also, when you think about those things, really in Jesus's mind, um, what it did is it brought about to him his final mission uh, to his people. And so we find it to be a fitting prelude uh, to the days of intense activity, lots of emotion that is going to be happening, and all of these things we're going to follow through with this first thing that happened that day, and that was that he was riding in. Um, It focused this whole event, focused the whole city's attention when you begin to think about it. And we're going to read about it here in John chapter 12. But the whole city was in tune with this. So that wherever Jesus went in Jerusalem this week, crowds followed him. And that had been happening throughout his, life, throughout his ministry life. Crowds began to follow him and go around, but more so now because of things that they had heard about. And everywhere in this city he went, people were right behind him. And his name was on every tongue in some form or other uh, during this week. I'm not speculating all of those things. I just go based on the account of what the Scripture gives us and the facts that we know. But I do know this, that in the midst of this week in particular, uh, there was a lot of suffering going on in his mind, in his spirit, and then his body as well. So we're going to pile into it there, but I want to start off with this as well. Somewhere, somebody wrote, And said, did the research, and so I said, well, I got to find out as well. And so I did this. One third of the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, first three books of the Gospels, the four Gospels, and one half of the book of John, all are devoted to this very last week of Jesus' life and his ministry. So all the things that are in these accounts that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're a big deal, a very big deal. And we're going to read from John chapter 12, these words. So if you're there and you're ready, here we go. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. And they shouted, Praise God or Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, he remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. Kind of like, hey, this is the guy. He's the one who did this. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And then verse 19, to wrap this up. Then the Pharisees said to each other, Guys, there's nothing we can do. Now, guys isn't in there. I just added that in. Sorry. There's nothing we can do. Look. Look. Everyone has gone after him. And so that's going to be our text for this morning, our main text. We'll be around in a couple other places a little later on. But I wanted to start there because it kind of sets the stage for the day that we're in, in Palm Sunday. And, and it is a big deal. When you read that story, it's exciting. I, I get excited about it when I hear it. I watch the movies and I get excited about when that happens. It's, it's kind of a neat thing. It really is. I can't imagine what it was like to have actually been there But I get a good little picture here. And so that's what we're looking at in this. And I want you to feel that enthusiasm and excitement. But we're going to walk through something that could potentially be kind of dark and and a bummer. It really could. We're going to talk about suffering today. But I want you to realize the importance of this and why we're looking at this today. Because this is a real problem, right? Right? The real problem is suffering. It's a problem. And we believe that God is loving. We believe that God is powerful. There's no question in there, in my mind. So if God is so loving and so powerful, then where is he in all of this? How could he be allowing such suffering, huge amounts of suffering around the world? Anybody ever been asked that by somebody? Or have you even had that question run through your mind? Let me see your hands if you have. Okay, good, I'm not the only one then. That's good news, glad to hear that. But it's true, I've had that run through in mind. And that's really a difficult question. And believe it or not, I really can't answer it. I have no idea why some of these things are going on and why it's happening. But here's what I wanna say. And I want you to really focus in on this for just a moment. The Bible, in the end, doesn't necessarily seek to answer our questions about the problem of suffering. Not at all. Instead, what the Bible does is it tells a story. It tells a story that is centered on one single person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so from cover to cover, from beginning to end or as I like to put it, from beginning to new beginning. It focuses in on the person of Jesus. So the Bible is telling us to look at this person, Jesus, if you want to know what God does in the face of suffering. That's what it's telling us to do. So today we're going to look at this phrase in the Apostles' Creed, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And in this... What we really are doing through the entire Apostles' Creed is we're confessing in this particular phrase that God is in the person of Jesus, he suffered. Now, he didn't suffer in some abstract way, so don't get off on a tangent in your mind thinking about that. He suffered in a particular point in time. His suffering can be dated. It can It actually is rooted in human history. We know that it happened. It's not an idea. It's not some mythology or something along that line. Not at all. It's a fact. This particular point in time, this happened. So here's a question. How does this suffering of a first century Jewish man, which is who? Jesus. Good. Excellent. You're with me on that. How does the suffering of a first century Jewish man affect our suffering today? So ask that question. And remember, yes, he is fully God for sure, but he is also fully man. So Jesus, God, shares in our suffering because of this. That one word in the creed doesn't describe the end of his life either. It actually describes his entire life when you begin to really delve into it and think about it. So why do we say suffered under Pontius Pilate? Here's a question of faith. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read that Pontius Pilate washed his hands of the guilt of condemning Jesus to death. At least that's what he thought. And it's recorded in some of the manuscripts that that even Pilate's wife begged him to spare this holy man. But it was the Jews, if you recall the story, it was the Jews who freed Barabbas. And then they demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So why do we say suffered under Pontius Pilate? Why even is Pontius Pilate's name included in the creed at all? Good question. I asked it. I thought it was a good question. Especially when I found out, oh, this is what you're preaching on. Suffering under Pontius Pilate. Great. Build a sermon around that one. But it was so good. And it has been so good. I say it with a little bit of jest, but it's true. It's difficult. But it, it was so good to dig into this. Isn't, when you think about Pontius Pilate, isn't he the one who really is one of the villains of the gospels why not say if he if it's not a big deal really if he isn't why not say he suffered under the pharisees or he suffered under the jews who demanded jesus to be executed pilate is best known today Uh, for being the official who presided over the trial of Jesus, and he really did. He later ordered his execution. We'll get to that. Pilate's importance in modern Christianity is underscored by his prominent position and place in the Apostles' Creed. It's there for a very specific purpose. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a statement of beliefs, and I shared this with you in the hosting announcements here a couple weeks ago and just bear with me and let me, if you would, just permit me to share it again with you and I'll go through it real quickly. The Apostles' Creed is a statement of beliefs. It contains the main Christian teachings and has often been recited in church services. We heard it this morning. The first two words of the Apostles' Creed are, I believe. The video had, we believe, but if you look it up, it is. The first two are, I believe and so each one of us have it to be individualized to us i believe this means that the people accept what they are saying as truth and they believe and commit themselves to what follows later through the creed it's a profession of faith really is what it is i believe in god and then it goes on through what else we believe in they are stating what we believe you are stating what you believe But why is it in the creed? Why is this in the creed? Well, I believe it is of great importance that it's in there. Let me expand a little bit on this by showing you what I mean. Um, Something I heard a little while ago, and I listened to a a radio show, uh, so don't judge me on the title of the radio show. It's not on Canadian radio, okay? Just because. (laughs) It's not. But the radio show is called The Broken Halo. Okay? So when you think about it, anybody ever heard of that before? No? Okay. It's a, it's a good radio show. It really it's a lot of fun. Anyway, it's hosted by a guy by the name of uh, Reverend Dave Dwyer. He's got a great name. And uh, anyway, uh, he, he's addressing all of the articles of the Apostles' Creed, and he brings this one up. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to build everything around this. It was good. I didn't build everything around it. But it was good enough to put in here. And I want to share this with you, what he said. And I really want you... I, I learned something out of this. It was good. He said the major reason that it is in there is this. That certainly anytime time that any of the gospel writers mention a historical figure, somebody's name, they're doing that specifically to situate the events that they are describing at an actual time and place in history. That's what they do. So people that have written things down that we have in our history books, they put it in there for a specific date and time. That's why they did it. And the same goes for the gospel writers. And that we can verify using other sources that this actually was what happened we can find out outside of the Bible that this guy, Pontius Pilate, he actually was, in fact, a Roman prefect, which is a position that was given. In other words, a governor. So he was the governor of Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas of Judea. Not the entire area, but a pretty good swath of property. And he was the governor, and he was there set up by the Roman uh, government to take care of this area. And so... We understand that this is an actual fact because his name is found in the Gospels. We can verify this. So when we say it is, he goes on to say, so when we say it it in the creed, we're saying that this really happened. So that's why we mention Pilate. Not for reasons speculated because he's a good guy or a superstar, and we should continue to remember him after these years. No. Remember? Some of us consider him to be a villain. It's not because of any of those things. But because we're blaming him rather than... It's not because we're blaming him rather than all the other things that brought about the crucifixion too. There were a lot of other things other than just Pilate that brought that about. He goes on to say, and I'm going to wrap this up with this. He said, citing his name, Pontius Pilate, pinpoints the events at an actual point in history. And in the Apostles' Creed, we are saying that we believe this really happened at this time. Regardless if he washed his hands or not, thinking that it wasn't such a good idea, it still was Pilate's authority to declare that Jesus be executed, and he actually did that. Thus, Jesus experienced suffering under the human authority of Pontius Pilate. So that's why we say, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And it was human suffering. So he knows what goes on in the lives of humans. He can say, been there, done that. Okay, He gets it. You and I know people who are suffering or have suffered, I think. Many of you in this room, can you attest to the fact that you know people who are suffering? Yeah? And you've experienced it yourself as well, right? For sure. Suffering hurts, and it hurts everybody sometimes. Sometimes we hurt a lot from suffering, right? Maybe even for a long time. Sometimes it feels like it's never going to stop hurting and never going to stop suffering. And it may be because of a physical illness that this is going on, or a physical injury, or an emotional injury, or because someone you love has, has died or maybe it's because of some huge catastrophe that happened, or a natural disaster, or get this one. Here's a novel idea, a global pandemic. Can you relate to the suffering in this? Anybody out there? Okay, the heads are going, this is good. It's not good that you can relate though. I I did not mean that in light at all. It's true, we see it all around us. But if, if we all experience and we all see suffering, that seems to have no point. There are things like that in the world, too, right? It just doesn't make any point why that type of suffering is going on. It's unwarranted, it's unjust, it's senseless, it happens. Why in the world does that happen? I've asked that question before, recently. And I know that they're just looking out over this crowd here, and I know that some of you online, for sure, that are joining us, some of you have careers where you have stared that kind of suffering in the face more than once. Think about this for a second. We have police officers in our midst. They've stared that in their face. We have nurses. We have first responders, disaster relief workers. We can relate. We've seen it, right? Those of you that have served in the military, I'm sure you've seen it. You can understand. And that's not taken away from anybody else either. I'm just bringing that up. Many people stare it in the face every day. Pretty incredible. And I, I've asked, and I'm sure that you've asked those tough questions about why these things happen. Why there's all this pointless pain and senseless suffering and, and needless tragedy in the world. Great question. I think this is true on some level for everybody. I really do. These aren't just hypothetical questions when you think about it. No, it gets super personal. They are deeply personal with humankind. The reasons for suffering. What do you tell yourself when nothing makes sense? I don't know. Let's go ask the pastor. They know everything. (laughs) I got to tell you, there are many times that it just doesn't make sense to me either, and I have no answer, no sweet clue just to be honest. Maybe you might say everything happens for a reason. And technically, that's true. That is true. We do live in a world of cause and effect, right? And so I know that those things are there. But just because everything happens for a reason, it doesn't mean everything happens for a good reason. Sometimes reasons just stink. And that's, That's the brutal, honest upfront of what it is. So everything does happen for a reason, okay. But that doesn't always mean that those reasons are God's reasons either. Even the stinky reasons doesn't mean that those stinky reasons are God's reasons. You know, according to the Bible, if you go digging into it, not too far at the beginning of it, we can see that all of the evil and suffering is a result of sin. Sin, when you look it up, look at what the definition is and also see around you, is a chaotic force that throws not only our lives and our relationships but also the universe that we live in. And I'm not talking about the greater cosmos. I'm just talking about like the, the universe sphere of I don't know, the greater Fredericton area or wherever you might hang your hat. But it causes our lives, our relationships, our universe... Uh, to get thrown into a state of disorder. Some of you remember that it was the devil who first deceived humans to sin. Which brought evil and suffering into the world, right? In the beginning, is, it happened. And you also know that the devil is still on the prowl looking for anyone that he can Devour. So it happened way back then, and it still happens today. But I want to tell you this, and this is good news. God's answer is Jesus Christ to all the suffering. He's the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and died and was buried. Now, there's more to come on that a little bit later on this week. We just want to stay focused on this for a moment to help us get to some answers And then to really move forward in this week. In other words, God hasn't given us a list of reasons of why we suffer. I wish he did sometimes. But instead what God has done is he has given us a person who will be with us when we suffer. And that person is who? Jesus. That's what God has done. When we hurt, God gives us a friend. A friend And a brother who has also suffered. Okay? He's been through this. He understands, he lived a human life on this world amidst a bunch of suffering. He can relate. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I haven't usually heard Jesus' suffering and death on the cross um, connected deeply to our own experiences of suffering. No. Most of the time, Jesus' death on the cross, it is explained in terms of a crime that was committed and there had to be punishment exacted. And so he bore the punishment of sins deserved by us. And of course, that's part of it, but that's not only the only part. There's more to it. God must do much more to, de- to defeat sin than just punish it. Now, don't go sideways on me on that, okay? I want you to really hear what I'm saying. God must do much more to defeat sin than punish it. The victims of sin must be acknowledged. How does God acknowledge the victims? Through his son, Jesus. The suffering that sin has Brought into the world also needs to be addressed. I want you to understand something. God doesn't just look at you and me and see your sin. That's not all He sees. No, what He does is He sees us struggling, He gets it. He hears your cries. Sometimes it doesn't feel like He does, but He does. He feels your tears. God knows your suffering. He knows your suffering because of his son, Jesus. And God loves you so much. I want you to understand that clearly. He loves you so much that he can't bear to give up on you. Nobody. To just abandon you to your sin and suffering. God loves humans so much that God became one of us. Do you get that? Do you understand that? He became one of us. Jesus Christ fully identified with us in our humanity by freely choosing to suffer with us. Freely choosing. He suffered and he died and he was buried as a human. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. You can look it up later if you want to. Romans 8, 3. The law of Moses, he says, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son As a sacrifice for our sins. Ruminate on that a bit. Think about it. It's what he did. It's a fact. In his son Jesus, God personally took on the human condition. Entered the disordered mess that we live in. That they were living in back then. The mess of a struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Praise God. God loves us so much that through his son, Jesus Christ, he has not left us to struggle all alone. In fact, what he is doing is that he is actually joining us in our disordered mess. He did. That's what happened. In the chaos and in the suffering of death, God joined us. Now, just a couple months back, I started a class and I took the class uh, online and everything was studying. And one of the books was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm sure some of you have heard of him. Just quickly, he he is a uh, was a German um, minister, if you will, and. um, he was martyred for his faith in world War, at the end of World War II by the Nazis in Germany. But in this book, he explained it so simply and beautifully, I wanted to share it with you. This is what he said. In the body of Jesus Christ, God is uni- united with humankind. In the body of Jesus Christ, God took on the sin of the world and he bore it. And God defeated sin through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross so that the power of sin that it has over us can be broken. He goes on to say, and the main power that sin holds over us is suffering and ultimately death. But through his cross and resurrection, Jesus has demolished that power. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. He goes on to say he doesn't break that power by taking it away, by taking away suffering and death, but by bearing them and by enduring them. He did that. And he gives us the power to bear suffering and death because he bears those burdens with us and for us. When the Son of God became a human, our suffering became his suffering. He tasted death so that we might live forever. I love that. So when you're hurting and you pray, I want you to know and to understand that Jesus hears your prayer. This Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate, the very one, And he was crucified, and he died, and he was buried. And Jesus won't give you a list of reasons why you're suffering, but he can relate. Jesus has promised to be with you through all of this, to walk with you through it. And frankly, I will take his presence with me knowing all of these things I will take his presence any day rather than knowing it all. God doesn't give up on his people. So the Apostles' Creed reminds us that we believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. And in the end, I want you to get this, God will return to this world through his son Jesus to renew all things. I cannot wait for that day. There will be no more suffering in death. Praise God. God will wipe away every tear. The word tells us that. And he will dwell with us forever. Everything will be beautiful and nothing will ever hurt again. Now, you and I have to live in a world that we were born into. It's just the nature of things. We've got to do that. A world, though, that is still good because God created it and it was good. It was good. But a world that is also fallen because of sin. And it's populated by a disordered mess. It's what we humans are. And we are struggling, right? Humanity is struggling. You and I are a part of that. What I want you to do is I want you to do this. I want you to commit to loving and serving the world just as you find it, in all its mess, in all of its suffering and your suffering. Love the world in that. You have found the world to be wounded and sometimes even brutally combative. I know. I understand that. You and I are part of that. And it is just that way. But you know something? That's how Jesus found it too. Exactly that way. But Jesus loved and served the world as it is. Not how it's going to be at some point, but as it is. We live with a hope for future that God has promised us. And the Apostles' Creed shows an earthiness of the history of redemption It occurred on this earth, in a particular space, and in a specific point in time. The gospel, like I said before, it's not mythical, it's not imagery as some people, there's writing style of that, but it's not all that. The gospel is about what the only God who is, has done for sinners in need of eternal rescue. That's what he's done. And the gospel is very specific, and it's datable in particular in this fourth article of the Apostles' Creed. It gets to the heart of the matter. The Son of God, who was Jesus, took on a human body and a soul in order to save a fallen humanity of his day and us, all of the fallen human beings. He did it at a particular place and time. And so here we are. In Holy Week, right at the beginning. And let me just share with you, to tie in all the suffering and all the things that went on, just a little bit of a list of what went on in one week, in the final week of Jesus' life in human form on this earth. Listen, this Holy Week includes Jesus' triumphal entry, which we recognize today. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. His teaching at the temple, he did that during that week. And in that, there was a confrontation with the religious leaders. Not only that, but he also instituted the Lord's Supper, or as we know it, communion. It's referred to as the last supper with his disciples, but it's something that we have taken on, and, we, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to be celebrating that a little later this week. It also had in that week the betrayal of one of his very closest people. Judas betrayed him. Think about the suffering in that. Then there was the arrest and the sham of a trial before the Sanhedrin. There's my lawyer back there. The sham of a trial. I mean, it was a joke. Anyway, that happened. There was the denial of Peter. Peter denied him. Another one of his closest people. There was the, there's suffering in that. There's the appearances before Pilate and then before Herod. And then again, back to Pilate. And then Christ's eventual beating and whipping. Tell me about the suffering there. Think of it. And then there was the crucifixion on the cross where they drove nails through his hands and his feet. Had to have been some suffering in that. No question. And then there was the eventual death and burial. More to come on that later this week. But I want you to know that Jesus didn't experience this horrific set of circumstances because he had nothing better to do. Like he just didn't leave heaven because he had nothing better to do up there. He left heaven and he experienced the ugliness of a fallen world. Let me just share with you two quick verses. Luke chapter 24, and the band's going to lead us. Luke 24, verses 26 and 27. Listen to what it says. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would suffer, would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Jesus is talking to some of his disciples here. Okay? Not just talking to them. He's talking to them after he was risen from the dead. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He wanted them to get it again. He wanted them to understand clearly. Thankfully, the suffering of Jesus is not the end of the story for either him or for us who believe in him for our salvation. I'm so excited about what lies ahead for the rest of this week. Excited about what's marked on our calendars. I'm excited about what God has in store for his church in the coming days. I'm super excited about what he has in store for all of mankind through what he has done for us. And I want you to consider those things that he understands our suffering and has just an incredible offer for that.